Our parsha begins with really the climactic moment in the story between Yosef and his brothers. When after framing his brothers as both spies and later as thieves and extorting them, forcing them to bring Binyamin down and sending Yaakov, thereby sending Yaakov on the fright and the worry of his life. Well, finally, Yosef brings this all to a close in the beginning of our parsha when he reveals himself to his brothers lovingly. And the question is, what has this whole whirlwind been about? This emotional roller coaster Yosef's been sending his brothers on, extorting them, framing them. What is he trying to accomplish with all of this? Now, it is true that Yosef might not be acting unilaterally here. Ramban and other Mepharshim, other commentaries, believe that Yosef is acting based on the inspiration of his dreams. He believes the dreams are a form of prophecy, and somewhere within his dreams, he sees basis to do this to his brothers. Well, that commentary simply sets up our question or not. Not to question Yosef, but rather to question Hashem, to question the divine inspiration behind the dreams. Why was it important from Hashem's perspective for Yosef to do this to his brothers and send them on this whirlwind? So the key is to study our parsha to study why finally at the end Yosef does reveal himself to his brothers. He reveals himself to his brothers when Yehuda says, there is no way I'm leaving Binyamin behind, and there is no way I'm going back up to Eretz Yisrael, empty-handed, without Binyamin, and, for, and greeting Yaakov this way. Ki avi v'hanari nenu itanu avi. Well, it is this devotion to a brother, and it is this commitment to protect a father from pain, which was really the critical ingredient missing in the beginning of the Yosef saga. If, Yosef, if Yehuda and the other brothers would have been committed to the idea of a brother, would have been committed to the idea of, by hook or by crook, you ensure that a father is not pained, there's no way they could have sold Yosef in the beginning. That yes, there were sibling rivalries, horrible envies. But if the commitment is so deep as Yehuda affirms here, he says he is ready to accept slavery upon himself rather than have Binyamin enslaved. This is a total sacrifice to the idea of brothers, commitment to brothers. Well, this is the tikkun. This is the rectification. This is the tshuva to bring the Jewish family together again. And now Yosef could reveal himself to his brothers. So now from this perspective, I would like to go back to the beginning of the story, the very onset of the whirlwind which Yosef sends his brothers on and see how each piece of the story, each seemingly disparate bit of minutia comes together, coalesces in splendid harmony as an overall story of tshuva, redeeming the Jewish family, the descent to Jewish family, the descent to Jewish nation. Well, let's start with the brothers' actual descent down to Mitzrayim when they are going to buy food. The Chumash tells us Yosef the ten brothers of Yosef are going to buy food. And Rashi notes it does not call them sons of Yaakov, but rather ten brothers of Yosef, to connote 
their relationship to Yosef, that the brothers have themselves affirmed their relationship to Yosef. They are going down to Mitzrayim, says Rashi, with the commitment, we are going to trace Yosef, track Yosef down, we're going to find him, we are going to ransom him. Rashi continues to explain how each of the brothers were in different places in this Truva process. Some regretted more having sold Yosef, some less, some loved Yosef more, some still had more lingering hatred. So it was, in fact, a very personal journey for each of the Shvatim, each of the ten brothers, in terms of re-cementing their bond to Yosef. But the point is, what we see here now is both on the brother's end and on Yosef's end, inspired by his dream. There is a commitment to right this great wrong here. The brothers are going down to Mitzrayim with the commitment to track Yosef down and act as brothers should, and Yosef, inspired by the dream, wants to bring the brothers to such a place of truth. And from this perspective, we can now appreciate the particular charges which Yosef hurls against the brothers when they enter his throne room, and the particular punishments and threats which he flings their way. First, he accuses them of being spies, and he threatens them with imprisonment, and actually imprisons them, and then holds on to Shimon, one of the brothers, in prison for much longer. And then, later, he frames them as thieves, having stole the Gvea, stolen the Gvea, the royal goblet, and then the threat is to enslave them. The specter is raised to, to enslave all of the brothers, and later it becomes to enslave simply Binyamin. Well, here we have Yosef threatening the brothers with both slavery and prison. Now, what a coincidence, quotation marks, what a coincidence that these two sufferings, prison and slavery, was exactly what Yosef had experienced due to the brothers. They had sold him as a slave down to Mitzrayim, and he was later imprisoned on the charges of Potiphar's wife, all of which could be accredited, attributed to the brothers who sold him in the first place. So Yosef is here having the brothers experience the very tragedies which he experienced. And moreover, when you study the context in which Yosef is threatening them with these punishments, in particular the accusations he hurls this way, their way, you'll see something very interesting. At the end of Parshas Nikates, when he threatens them with slavery, the trumped-up charge against the brothers is having stolen the royal goblet, i.e. having, in a sense, usurped his royalty, the symbol of his royalty, as in the special royal goblet. Well, that is really what the brothers had accused Yosef of doing. They accused him of usurping the role of Melech, king of the Jewish people, a role which Yehuda saw as his, which Yosef then seems to want to take for himself when he's preaching in his dreams, all of you guys will be bound to me. So here, based on the charge of usurping 
royalty they sold him into, a, into slavery. And the same thing is happening to them on the trumped-up charge of having usurped the symbol of royalty, the royal goblet. They are being, they are being threatened with slavery. And even more powerfully, when we study the other punishment, when he enslaves the brothers, oh, I apologize, when he imprisons the brothers, and we study why he imprisoned the brothers. He imprisoned the brothers claiming they were spies. And the Chumash uses a very interesting word to describe how he accused them of spying. You came to see the nakedness of the land, or the vulnerability of the land, an easy place to attack. Well, that's a very interesting expression to use for a spy. Erva, nakedness. Prying on nakedness, the nakedness of the land. That term is generally used for committing an immoral act. Giloi Arayos. Well, Yosef had been imprisoned due to a charge of Gili Arayos. He was imprisoned because the wife of Potiphar accused him of committing an immoral act with her. And here he is imprisoning the brothers based on a charge of Gili Arayos looking at nakedness. Now again, the brothers certainly don't know any of this as it's going on. They don't know Yosef's personal history in Mitzrayim. But certainly retrospectively, when we all know the story, we see so many powerful points of connection. How the brothers are re-experiencing everything which they had visited upon Yosef. Because considering that the entire objective here is to redeem the Jewish family, for the brothers to recommit to a brother, you can't really achieve tshuva without entering the other person's skin, without entering the victim's skin, the one we, one persecuted their position. That yes, the wrongful party might know in the abstract, I hurt the other person and I should say I'm sorry. But you don't really feel it until you turn with all of the pain and all of the toxic dynamics which the victim had, until you experience that, your remorse, your regret, your repentance cannot be complete. It is only when the brothers are going to feel everything which they brought upon Yosef that their truva can have a degree of sincerity here. And what is amazing to continue to trace is how all sorts of additional details in the story coalesce and fall right into place and assume significance from this perspective of the brothers having to enter Yosef's skin and atone for themselves. Because let's first consider which of the brothers did Yosef target, in a sense, the harshest? It was Shimon. It was Shimon who he held on in prison the longest. And Rashi says that was because it was Shimon who originally concocted the plan to kill him. When the Pesach is back in Parshas Vayeshev, one man said to his brother, here's the dream of Yosef, let's kill him. Well, that is interpreted to mean it was Shimon who whispered to his brother Levi, let's nab Yosef, let's abduct Yosef. So it was Shimon, the primal mover behind harming Yosef, who is receiving the worst treatment. Well, what's going on here? Is this revenge, God forbid, on Yosef's part? Why is Shimon targeted here? But now we're beginning to understand it was not revenge, but it was redemption. The entire endeavor 
of Yosef here inspired by his dreams was really for the brothers to enter his skin and feel what they did for to him. And therefore, it's the brothers who are the most liable, who need even more rehabilitation, spiritual rehabilitation, personal rehabilitation in this regard. And the pattern continues, because it is not only Shimon who receives this extra harshness, but Levi, Shimon's cohort, the one Shimon had conspired with against Yosef, he also is singled out here. Because in the drama of last week's Parsha, it says that one of the brothers opened up his sack and saw the money which they had paid the Egyptian ruler had been returned to their baggage. And this sent that brother on a freak attack. Ooh, he's going to frame us for having stolen the money back. Stolen the money for the food which we were purchasing in Mitzrayim. He's going to frame us for having stolen it, stolen it back. Well, which brother was it, says Rashi, who experienced this fright of opening up his baggage and seeing the money? It was Levi. And Rashi highlights it was Levi, Shimon's cohort against Yosef. Well, why is it significant that Shimon as Levi, I'm sorry, as Shimon's partner in the crime against Yosef is being singled out? Well, now it makes all the sense in the world. It's so clear how both the story in the Chumash and here as we're seeing several of the Midrash and Rashi are citing are seeing the entire story as one of rehabilitation. And it is not only Shimon and Levi, but other primal movers and major figures in the original sale of Yosef's story who are stepping up to the plate here. We have both Ruvain and Yehuda. Ruvain and Yehuda both had good intentions in the original sale of Yosef. Both of them insisted we're not going to kill a brother. Ruvain said, let's throw him into a pit instead. Yehuda said, let's sell him down instead. They both had good intentions, but Chazal the sages criticized them for falling short, for not ultimately putting their foot down and saying, we are not going to harm our brother Yosef at all. So you'll notice here in the replay, when Binyamin is being taken down to Mitzrayim to Egypt here, which brothers take responsibility? Tell Yaakov, we are going to keep an eye on him. We are going to ensure he comes back sound and safe. It is first Ruvain in Parshas Mikit who says he's ready for his two children to die if he does not bring back Yosef live and well. He's totally laying out his neck, laying out his progeny on the line as a way of showing Yaakov, displaying to Yaakov his devotion to bring Benjamin back. And then it is Yehuda who in actuality says, I am going to bring him back by hook or by crook. And in fact, Yehuda displays this role in our parsha by Yigash, love Yehuda, when it's Yehuda who comes close to argue with Yosef. Not a coincidence at all that it is Ruvin and Yehuda. And it is ultimately Yehuda who achieves the deepest rehabilitation in our parsha. He's the one who says, I will not go home empty-handed without Benjamin. Because it was Yehuda who had sold Yosef down, and Yehuda who, mu- who must redeem himself. So indeed the pattern continues. And the beauty of this way of looking at the story, in terms of so many details which we otherwise would have written off as mere coincidence, now falling right into place, well, the, the revelations continue. Let's study the direction which Yaakov gives the brothers in Parshas Miketz 
when he tells them, you know, to placate this Egyptian ruler, I want you to take down different species, special vegetation, produce, herbs, species of the land of Israel. Please in this way, bribe in this way. Now you'll notice three of the items he mentions, three sort of herbs he directs them to bring down. Nechos sari velot. All of those sweet-smelling, aromatic herbs all appeared earlier in the story, back in transformation. When Yosef was sold down to Mitzrayim, the Chumash says the caravan of Yishmael, the caravan of Arabs, to whom Yosef was sold, well, they were carrying Nechos Tsari Valot, these very aromatic herbs. The coincidence is too great that the same fumes, the same smells, which uh, permeated Yosef's nostrils on the way down to Egypt. Well, the brothers, on their way down to Egypt to reason with Yosef, their nostrils were permeated by those same fumes of Nechos Sari Valot. Again, fumes and really the sensation of aroma is very powerful in our psyche. And therefore, one can begin to see the story coming to life, the stage of who coming to life. They are going down to Mitzrayim with their nostrils filled with Nechos Sari Valot, these powerful views. So here we have so many details in the story matching up. A deja vu, a take two of the brothers now experiencing for themselves what they brought upon Yosef and redeeming themselves and rehabilitating themselves. Because as we said, you can only rehabilitate when you enter the other skin, the victim skin, and appreciate the entire Noxious experience which they had in flesh rather than simply as an idea, as an abstraction. You have to experience and feel it for yourself, all the pain. And what is now so powerful and validating in our study today is to appreciate that we are not the only ones connecting the dots here, seeing how the brothers experience and the pain which they have visited upon them is intended as a rehabilitation, as a truth. Because the brothers themselves say that. When you'll say frames them, they say back in Parshas Mikates, we know why we're being punished here. We know why the Egyptian rule is framing us. It is because we were unsympathetic to our brother when he was crying for his life. That even though we had certain arguments against him, we had a vendetta against him, and we felt justified. Well, at the end of the day, when a brother cries for his life, you don't do this. So Hashem is there for punishing us for that lack of sensitivity, they say. Well, now we are appreciating how the brothers attributing their own suffering now at the hands of the Egyptian ruler to their sale of Yosef. This is not just a random connecting of dots. This is not a random attribution. Uh Uh-huh, we're being pained for this reason. Like when someone walks down the street and a brook falls on their toes and they say, ah, it was because I spoke Lashon Hashem. It's not random at all. The whole story is bringing out the need of the measure for a measure. They saw so clearly. It was so overt, so apparent. This is what Hashem wants them to learn. It was so clear to them in real time. And this is 
where Yosef was bringing his brothers, directing his brothers, slowly leading them to this acknowledgement, which ultimately happens in our parsha, Parshas Vayigash, when it says, Ki avi, how could I go back up to my father? That brings the whole story and all of its bits and pieces, which now have come together. Well, that brings it to its close, to its place of rebuilt, rehabilitation, to its place of redemption. And I'll note one final point, that we began focusing on the whirlwind, we called it, the emotional roller coaster which Yosef sends his brothers on, and how the city father sent sympathy for the brothers, that they have to endure this, the extortion, the framing. But now we're beginning to appreciate how it was redemptive, how it was rehabilitating them. And the same is true in all of our lives. When we endure pain and the like, when we endure suffering, well, when we realize that this is a true opportunity, such as if we appreciate how we wrong someone, I wrong someone, and now I am becoming more sensitive. If we, if we live with that self-awareness, then the pain and the suffering becomes a positive, becomes redemptive and rehabilitating, as we called it, as as it is in the case of the brothers here. Because ultimately, amidst the brothers' suffering, they are becoming better people. And the dissented Jewish family is coming together. And we see this in a final episode in last week's Parsha. When, when all 12 brothers are now present together, the brothers have brought down Binyamin, and Yosef sits them around the table to eat jointly. And Yosef assigns them each a seat in accordance with their birth order, Ruvin sits here, Shimon sits here, and so on. And he plays that this is, he knows this because of his sorcery. But what in fact is Yosef trying to accomplish by having all the brothers not only break bread together, but break bread in sequence, in birth sequence. What Yosef's trying to do here is he is redeeming the family. It was a family of dissension. It was, a, frankly, a dysfunctional family after the sale of Yosef. He wants them all to assume their position in the family, each one's birth order and all of the issues that connotes birth order, place in the family, interconnectivity of siblings. Well, he wants them to come together that way and break bread, because breaking bread is a social lubricant. And moreover, the Chumash describes how when they break bread, they drink. And they become a bit intoxicated, and Rashi explains none of them had ever imbibed wine all of this time since Yosef was sold. So here we have the family together drinking wine. And in a sense, celebrating. Now, the brothers presumably are just drinking this wine because the Egyptian ruler gave it to them. They don't understand what Yosef understands, that indeed they can now all drink wine now for the first time after all of these years of suffering because the family is coming together again. Indeed, it is no coincidence that Yosef works into his master plan here, this breaking bread as a family, this drinking as a family, and particularly in the structure of the family. Because Yosef is understanding that amidst all the framing and extortion and all of that, everything which he's visiting upon the brothers, something very positive is going on here. 
they are redeeming themselves because they are entering the other skin. They are entering his skin and they are appreciating what he gave to them. So here we have a very positive message and takeaway from this pattern we traced in the Yosef story coming to its conclusion in our parsha from this harmonious way, this broad sweep perspective. And we have the hopeful aspiration to apply in our own life. How to see challenges in life, pain, suffering, as an opportunity for personal rehabilitation and redemption, including entering other skin, knowing what it means to be pained, and walking away as forever sensitive more people. More sensitive people.